Chapter Ten of Gone to Earth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gone to Earth by Mary Webb. Chapter Ten. The garden at the Callow was full of old, sad-coloured flowers that had lost all names but the country ones. Chief among them, by reason of its hardihood, was a small plant called Virgin's Pride. Its ephemeral petals, pale and bee-haunted, fluttered like banners of some lost-forgotten cause. The garden was hazy with their demure, faintly-scented flowers, and the voices of the bees came up in a soft roar triumphantly as the voices of victors returning with hard-won spoil. Abel had been putting some new sections on the hives, and, as usual after a long spell of listening to their low, changeless music, he rushed in for his harp. He sat down under the hawthorn by the gate, and looked like a patriarch beneath a pale green tint. As day declined, the music waxed, and he played with a tenderness, a rage of delight, that did not often come to him except on spring evenings. He almost touched genius. Hazel came out, leaving the floor half scrubbed, and began to dance on the potato flat. "'Dunna stump the taters to death, Hazel,' said he. "'They've been up,' she replied, continuing to dance. He never wasted words. He continued the air with one hand and threw a stone at her with the other. He hit her on the cheek. "'You old beast!' she screamed. "'Get off taters!' he continued to play. She went hand to cheek and frowning off the potato patch, but she did not stop dancing. Neither of them ever let such things as anger, business, or cleanliness interfere with their pleasures. So Hazel danced on, though on a smaller area, among the virgin's pride. The music, wild, crude, and melancholy, floated on the soft air to Edward as he approached. The sun slipped lower. Leaf shadows began to tremble on Hazel's pinafore, which, with its faded blue and its many stains, was transmuted in the vivid light and looked like the flowers of virgin's pride. "'The ash-tree!' said Abel, who always announced his tunes in this way, as singers do at a choir supper. The forlorn music met Edward at the gate. He stopped, startled at the sight of Hazel dancing in the shadowy garden, with her hair loose and her abandon tempered by weariness. He stood behind the hedge until Abel brought the tune to an early end, with the laconic remark, Supper and went indoors with his harp. Edward opened the gate and went in. "'Eh, hey, minister, what a start you gave me!' said Hazel breathlessly. "'So this is your home. Ah!' Edward found her more disturbing tonight than at the concert. The gulf between them was more obvious. She had been comparatively tidy before. Now her disreputableness contrasted strongly with his correct black coat and general air of civilised well-being. Hazel came nearer. He in a bad to live along of, she confided with a nod towards the cottage. Of course, he's crossways time and again and a devil's temper. You mustn't speak of your father like that, Hazel. What for not? He be like that. "'Are all these apple-trees yours?' he asked, to change the subject. "'No, they're father's, but I get the windfalls and the bruisons. "'I allus see,' she smiled winningly, "'as there's plenty of them. 
Foxy likes 'em. He found me at it once, bruising of 'em. God almighty, what a hiding he gave me! Edward felt depressed. He could not harmonise Hazel's personality with his mother's. He was shocked at her expressions. He was sufficiently fastidious to recoil from dirt. The thought of Abel as a father-in-law was little short of appalling. Yet in spite of all these things, he felt such elation, such spring rapture when Hazel danced. The world took on such strange new colours when she looked at him that he knew he must love her forever. He felt that as his emotions grew stronger and they were becoming more and more like a herd of young calves out at grass, his ways of expression must increase in correctness. Hazel, he began. I like the way you say it, she interrupted. Ah, I like it right well, breathing strong like folk coming up the monkey's ladder. Whatever's that? Dunno you know monkey's ladder? It's that road there. Somebody's coming up it now on a horse. They both looked down at Reddin, climbing slowly and still some way off. They did not know who it was, nor what destiny was pacing silently towards them with his advancing figure, nor why he rode up and down this road and other roads every day, but an inexplicable sense of urgency came upon Edward. To his own surprise, he said suddenly, "'I came to ask if you'd marry me, Hazel Woodus.' "'Eh?' said she, dazed with surprise. "'Will you marry me, Hazel?' I can give you a good home, and I will try to be a good husband, and and I love you, Hazel, dear. Hazel put her head on one side like a willow wren singing. She liked to be called dear. Do you like me as much as I like Foxy? Far more. You've been very quick about it. I'm afraid I have. Will you buy me a green gown with yellow roses on it? If you like. He spoke doubtfully, wondering what his mother would think of it. And shall we sit down to our dinners at a table with a cloth on, like a... She stopped. She could not tell him about Undern. Like the gentry, she finished. Yes, dear. And will you tell that sleepy old lady as lives along of you? Oh, poor mother, thought Edward. Not to stare and stare at me over the top of her spectacles like a cow at a cornfield over the fence. Yes, yes, said Edward hastily, feeling that his mother must wait to be reinstated until he'd made sure of Hazel. All right, then, I'll come. Edward took her hand. Then he kissed her cheek gently. She accepted the kiss placidly. There was nothing in it to remind her of Reddin's. "'And you'll do always as you like,' Edward went on, "'and be my little sister.' "'Then, to make matters clearer,' he added, "'and you shall have a room, "'papered with buttercups and daisies, "'for your very own.' "'Eh, how grand! "'You'll like that.' "'His voice was wistful in its eagerness for a denial. "'Ah, I shall like it right well.' "'Edward made no reply.' He was never any good at putting in a word for himself. He was usually left out of things and stood contentedly in the background while inferior men pushed in front of him. And now, he said, I'll give you a token till I can get you a ring. He picked a spray of the faint pink and blue flowers. What's its name? he asked. Virgin's Pride. Edward gave her a quick look. 
Then he realized that she was as innocent as her little fox and as free from artifice. That was its name, so she told it to him. A very pretty little flower and a very sweet name, he said. And now, where's your father? Guzzling his supper. Edward frowned. Then the humour of the situation struck him, and he laughed. Abel rose as they came to the door. "'Well, mister,' he inquired glumly, "'what'n you after? Money for them missions to buy clothes for savages that'd liefer go bare, or money for them poor clergy? I'm poor another clergy. I want to marry Hazel.' Abel flung back his head and roared. Then he jerked his thumb over his shoulder towards Hazel. "'What? Er?' he queried in ecstasies of mirth. "'Er? Look at the floor, man. Look at the apron she's got on. Laws, man, you surely dunna want our Hazel for your missus?' "'Yes,' Edward was nettled and embarrassed. "'Well, there's only eighteen. He looked Hazel over appraisingly, as he would have looked at a heifer. "'Still, I suppose she's an omen growed.' Well, you can take her, I don't mind. When do you want her? I shall ask her when she will wish to marry me. Abel laughed again. Lord love us, he said. You want to take an axer? Tell her, that's what. Just tell her what to do, and she'll do it, if you give her one for herself now and again. So you mean marrying, do you? Edward was angry. Abel's outlook and manner of expression roared his nerves. "'I leave all the arrangements to her,' he said stiffly. "'And the devil aid you,' said Abel, "'for I canna.' Hazel stood with downcast face, submissive but ill at ease. She wanted to spring at her father and scream, "'Hold your row!' for she hated him for talking so to Edward. Somehow it made her flushed and ashamed for Edward to be told to give her one for herself. She looked at him under her lashes and wondered if he would. There was something not altogether unpleasant in the idea. She felt that to be ordered about by young lips and struck by a young man's hand would be, as businessmen say, quite in order. She appraised Edward and decided that he would not. Had she been able to decide in the affirmative, she would probably have fallen in love with him there and then. Edward came over to her and took her hand. "'When will you be my wife, Hazel?' he said. "'I dunno. Not for above a bit.' "'Ho, ho!' laughed Abel. "'Hark at her. Throw some at her, man.' "'I should prefer your absence,' said Edward, stung to expression at last. "'Eh?' "'Go away,' said Edward rudely. He was surprised at himself afterwards. Abel withdrew, open-mouthed. Hazel laughed with delight. "'But why didn't you hit him?' she asked wistfully. "'My dear girl, what a thing to say! Be it?' "'Yes. But now, when shall we be married?' "'Not for years and years,' said Hazel pleased at the dismay on his face and enjoying her new power. Then she reflected on the many untried delights of the new life. Leastways, not for days and days, she amended. Will you give me pear drops every day? Pear drops? My dear Hazel, you must think of better things 
than pear drops. There's naught better, she said, without its bullseyes. But, dear, Edward reasoned gently, don't you want to think of helping me and going with me to chapel? Hazel considered. Do you preach long and solemn? she asked. No, said Edward rather curtly, but if I did, you ought to like it. Hazel took his measure again. Then she said naughtily, Tell you what I'll do if you preach long and solemn, mister. I'll put me tongue out. Edward laughed in spite of himself and thought for the twentieth time, Poor mother! But that did not prevent his being anxious to have Hazel safely at the mountain. It seemed to him that every man in the county must want to marry her. What would you say to May, Hazel, early May, lilac time? I'd like it right well. And suppose we fix it the day after the spring flower show at Evenwood and go to it together. I'm going with father to sing. Well, when you've sung, you can have tea with me. Thank you kindly, Mr. Marston. Edward. Edward. Abel came round the house. You can come and see the bees if you've a mind, he said forgivingly. In his angers and his joys, he was like a child. He was, in fact, what he looked, a barbaric child prematurely aged. He was aged and had lines on his face because he enjoyed life so much, for joy bites as deep as sickness or grief or any other physical strain. Hazel would age soon, for she lived in an intenser world than most people, as if she saw everything through magnifying glass and coloured glass. Edward went to the bees as he would have gone to the dogs. Sadly, he disliked the bees even more than he disliked Abel, who in his expansive mood was much less attractive than in his natural sulkiness. Abel did not know how near he came once or twice to frustrating an end that he thought very desirable. A less steadfast man than Edward with a less altruistic object in view, would have been frightened away from Hazel by Abel's crudeness. "'What about the bitch?' he asked Edward when they had seen the bees. "'Will you take her, or shall I drown her?' Rage flamed in Hazel's face, rage all the more destructive because it was caused by pity, her father's calm taking for granted that Foxy's fate and her own depended on his whim and Edward's the picture of Foxy tied up in a bag to be drowned. Foxy, who had all her love, infuriated her. Edward was troubled at the look in her eyes. He'd not yet had much opportunity for seeing those wild red lights that burn in the eye of the hunter and are reflected in those of the hunted and make life a lurid nightmare. The scene set his teeth on edge. Of course, he said, with the recklessness of it quite clear to him when he thought of his mother, of course the little fox shall come. And the one-eyed cat and the blind bird and the old ancient rabbit, I'll wager, queried Abel. Well, minister, you can set up a menagerie and make money. They could go in bits of holes and corners, Hazel put in anxiously, and nobody would ever know they were there. And the bird chirrups lovely fine days. Abel shouted with laughter. Two, three feathers and a beak, he said, and the rabbit would be comfortabler a muff. Edward hastily ended the discussion. Of course, they shall all come, he said. 
Somehow Hazel made the sheltering of these poor creatures a matter of religion. He found himself connecting them with a great, inasmuch as ye have done it unto these. He had never seen the text in that light before, but he was dubious about the possibility of making his mother see it thus. They'll be much obliged, Hazel said. Come and see em. She spoke as one conferring the freedom of a city. Foxy, very clean in her straw, smoothly white and brown, dignified and golden of eye, looked mistrustfully at Edward and showed her baby white teeth. She'll liven the old lady up, said Hazel. I'm afraid, began Edward, and then she shows her teeth a good deal. Only along of being fret. She needn't be frightened. I'll take care of her and of you and see that no harm comes to you. The statement was received by the night, critical, attent, in a silence so deep that it seemed quizzical. On his way home he felt rather dismayed at his task, because he saw that in making Hazel happy he must make his mother unhappy. Ah, well, it'll all come right, he thought, for he is love and he will help me. The sharp staccato sound of a horse cantering came up behind him. It was Reddin, returning from a wide detour. He pulled up short. Is there a fiddler in your parish, parson? he inquired. Edward considered. There is one man on the far side of the mountain. Pretty daughter? No, he is only twenty. Damn! He was gone. Hazel, in the untidy room at the callow, fed her pets and had supper in a dream of coming peace for them all. She would not have been peaceful if she had seen the meeting of the two men in the dusk, both wanting her with a passion equal in suddenness and force, but different in quality. She wanted neither. Her passion, no less intense, was for freedom, for the wood-track, for green places where soft feet scudded and eager eyes peered out and adventurous lives were lived up in the treetops, down in the moss. She was fascinated by Reddin. She was drawn to confide in Edward, but she wanted neither of them. Whether or not in years to come she would find room in her heart for human passion, she had no room for it now. She had only room for the little creature she befriended and for her eager, quickly growing self. For like her mother, she had the egoism that is more selfless than most people's altruism, the divine egoism that is genius. End of chapter 10. Recording by Rachel Linton, Bristol, UK.